Hi, I'm Lana Flatteron, and today I'm interviewing Julie Furman, legendary matchmaker and dating coach and owner of Julie Furman Associates, to talk about matchmaking and finding love. So, Julie, welcome. Thanks for having me, Lana. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this today with me. I'm so excited. So, to begin, please explain how your matchmaking journey began. When, where, how, and why did you become a matchmaker? Well, it was my own tortured love life that caused me to try to figure out what I was doing wrong. So first I hired myself a dating coach and he helped me discover all the things I was doing wrong in dating. And it was a long list. So we were working on those things. But then the other half of it was the strategic action plan. And this was back in 1990. We didn't have the internet back then. So there wasn't a match.com or anything like that. Best you could do back then was place a personal ad in the newspaper. And I had done that a few times and didn't really want to do it again. And I was looking through the personals and I saw ads for dating services. And I thought, okay, I'm making enough money. Why don't I just hire help? So I, I ripped the page out of the newspaper and I ran home and I called all three agencies. Two of them were blind date matchmaking companies and I didn't really want to do that. The other one was a video dating service where you got to see photos, you got to see videos, you had to do your own videos, which was a little intimidating. But I went ahead and signed up and the guy who talked me into joining and who maxed out my credit cards, that guy is the man I'm married to. I know. I love that story. <laughs> I think that's so fantastic and inspiring. Um, and so, yes, I love it. So um, first, I mean, <laughs> but I remember as I was sitting there, I was thinking this would be a really fun job. You know, I could talk to people about love and dating and romance and sex all day long. That would be a really fun job. And so I ended up later flirting with him and asking him out because he was the owner of the agency and wasn't supposed to ask his members out or whatever. So I just flirted with him and dragged him out for a beer. And five weeks later, we got engaged. And five months after that, we got married. And I ended up working for him eight months pregnant with our first son. I gave up my hotel job and started working for my husband. And it was a different type of concept than I operate with my company today. Um, but it was the first entree into it. And it was the best thing going back then. Video dating was a cool concept. But the problem with it is that most of the people who walked in the front doors didn't end up becoming clients because it was expensive. And the agency wouldn't let you meet anybody who didn't also become a client. So there were all these great people that never got to meet anybody, not to mention the fact that there were a lot of people who spent a lot of money and still didn't meet anybody because they were shooting out of their league or they didn't go in often enough or they wouldn't say yes to the people who selected them. So it was a frustrating process on both sides. And so um, later my husband sold his companies and then I launched my own. And today we are continuing to evolve the way that we go about providing introductions. So um, I'm not really a matchmaker because a matchmaker can cause two people to get married, fall for each other, go for each other. And in today's world where we all have lots of options and choice, I think of myself as a possibilities broker because I might have a referral for you, but like first I got to get the guy to say yes, and then I got to get you to say yes, and then hopefully the date actually happens. There are all kinds of things that can happen to sabotage 
the introduction. So uh, I have a sense of humor and I provide an awful lot of coaching and advice as well as introductions so that hopefully we never come up empty handed ever. Okay, wonderful, I love it. So what year was, did you start and what year did you start your own company? I started my company in 2001 in Los Angeles and we started with the very first person. And my first client was Bonnie number three. And now we're into the almost 36,000s. That's how many men and women I've privately registered um, in my community since 2001. Okay, great. But when did you start the, the um, matchmaking? Like 2001 or two is when I started my own company. And I worked with my husband uh, and a couple of other agencies about uh, 11 years prior to that. Okay, great. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. So thank you. Um, so then what are, well, I want to know exactly what areas you serve and who you serve. Are you serving everyone right now? You know, um, I want you to speak about that. And then I also wanted to find out all the services you offer right now. Sure. Um, it's free and it's private for both men and women to be registered with me. That's become a common thing within the matchmaking industry. Um, once technology became accessible to all of us, we realized that it would be a great waste to be on the phone with somebody or for somebody to send you an email all about themselves and for us not to be capturing that information so we could potentially make a match happen. That was a waste. So we fixed that. So it's free and private to be registered. I'm not working actively for everybody who's just registered with me. I'm working actively for the people who are the matchmaking clients. And it's a six to $10,000 adventure to hire me for matchmaking. And some clients are at a higher level than that because their searches are really specific or national. Um, I like to do short-term programs, a three-month to a six-month program, and most of my clients are at that six to $10,000 level for three months or six months, but most of the people in my community are not at that level. Like I do a coaching consultation with anybody who wants to, either by phone or by Zoom, an hour-long consultation, which is 295 just got done with an in-person consultation, which was about hour and 45 minutes. We took photos. That's a $500 investment. And I can't promise introductions with people that I do those consultations with. And I love to make them happen whenever I can. So that's a free introduction that I can provide whenever I have an opportunity, but I'm not under contract to provide it. So that's a new level of service that really came about as a result of the pandemic and me just really wanting to make every kind of match I could possibly make for people rather than just waiting until somebody's spending a whole lot of money. Does that make sense? Yes, no, I like that. I like the two options that you could, you know, you have a low end option that you could start just to get to meet you and, and to, you know, help get some help, you know, in your journey. Um, and so is there a specific area or are you, you know, are you, cause I know you're, based and I'm not sure I think you moved maybe Santa Fe but LA area yeah. Los Angeles is where I built my company and then um, we bought another home in Santa Fe about five years ago and I figured I was going to retire but instead I just got busy in both places <laughs> I'm not very good <laughs> at retiring so the the biggest bulk of candidates that I have men and women both are in Southern California and in New Mexico and I'll do a match any chance I get there was just a lady, a couple of days ago, who emailed me from Belgium. 
and she's looking to move to Los Angeles. And she wondered if she should register with me. And I said, yes, because you know what? I have a gentleman client who's from Belgium and lives there, would probably love to at least make a friend with you, you know, to have a nice friendship. So anywhere people are, I've done coaching consultations with a, a gentleman from New Zealand. And I was able to make an introduction happen for him just because I knew another matchmaker in New Zealand who was looking for a guy like him for her client. It's just really the world is shrinking. So um, to hire the matchmaker, I would recommend you need to be in that matchmaker's primary community because otherwise it's going to be a needle in a haystack. But to get registered with a matchmaker, you bet. If it's free, it's private, very low risk. All the cities that you travel to on a regular basis, you should know those matchmakers. Okay, great. So what are the certifications of a matchmaker and are you a member of any groups? Yes, there are a couple. Um, Lisa Clampett created initially the Matchmaking Institute and now it's the Global Love Institute, I think is what we call it now, the Global Love Institute. And hundreds and hundreds of matchmakers around the world, Lisa has trained and offered certification for. When I started my company, there was no such thing as being certified as a matchmaker. And there certainly wasn't an opportunity to go to a class and learn how to do it. So now there are places that you can go. Uh, that's the first place I would encourage people to go if they're thinking about becoming a dating coach or a matchmaker is the Global Love Institute. And then for people who are existing, uh, already have their businesses going, there's another one called the Matchmakers Alliance. And I'm very involved with that organization as well. And they plan a really fun, casual, playful retreat um, in addition to doing you know, the coursework when we get together. So there are ways of getting this type of knowledge, not only for the art of matchmaking, but for the business of matchmaking, two completely separate things. Okay, great. So then how, how as someone looking to find um, their partner, you know, potential partner, find love, how can they best find all the matchmakers that are out there? Is there a specific way to do that? The new database that they're creating as part of the Global Love Institute, it's I think in beta test right now, and that will be a great solution. Um, meanwhile, until that's launched fully, what I would say is you should know just to go to your local, you know, just go to Google. If you live in San Diego, San Diego matchmakers in Google and, and search it and see what you find. Now, a lot of the online dating sites and the national and international matchmakers pay for ad placement on Google. So you'll find all kinds of people who want your money, who aren't necessarily going to be the best solution for you locally. So look at the, the organic returns, not just who's paying for your eyeballs, but also look at who shows up and, and look for the matchmakers who are really based in your city. Um, I will tell you that there's a certain type of dating agency that I think for a lot of people is kind of a trap. It's the blind date matchmaking agency. And they won't tell you how much it is. They don't offer anything for free. They're just trying to get you into their office 
to get you to spend a bunch of money and they'll try to help you once you're a client, but you're not going to see any photos. Nobody's going to see any photos of you. There are plenty of people that have met and married that way, but for a lot of people, it's just a waste of time and energy and money. So I wanted to kind of speak about that just a tiny bit so people know there are a lot of different kinds of agencies out there. You need to do your research in your local community and find out if there is a good one. And it might be that you stick with online dating because that's not a horrible way to meet people either. You just have to have a, a process. You have to have a sense of humor and you have to have resiliency to survive online dating. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I wasn't sure if maybe like you go to maybe a local chamber of com commerce or I don't know, like if there is something specific that besides Google you could do like to find out. Um, well, the Global Love Institute, those guys keep track of okay. all the matchmakers. So if somebody goes there and says, hey, I live in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, are there any matchmakers? Lisa Clampett and her staff will probably know the answer to the question. Okay, great. And then how about niche match matchmakers? So like, I don't know, like an Italian matchmaker or a Jewish matchmaker or something specific. We definitely have Jewish matchmakers. Um, one of the people who was at the Global Love Conference with us was Jessica Foss, and she is in Los Angeles and also in Florida, and she specializes in Jewish introductions, and she built her company in Tel Aviv. Um, there, now I'm starting to keep track, too. Like I, Politics is such an important thing in um, <laughs> just about every part of our lives, at least in the United States right now, so I started keeping track of who's conservative, who's progressive or liberal. And now I'm able to, to find them. So when in doubt, you could always get registered with someone like me who's well-connected, like even though I'm based in Los Angeles and in Santa Fe, matchmakers check in with me every day. Hey, do you have anybody for my client, Jack, who's in Connecticut? I'm going to jump in and take a look. And I have people registered with me all over. So sometimes it works that way. Okay, great. Yes, I know. I feel like the navigation for it could be challenging. So that's why like, any insight you could, you know, you know, say would be so valuable. So thank you. Sure. Um, so now, how do you match people up? So like, okay, uh... <laughs> I love that question. Here's the honest to goodness truth of that. Um, there are, there are people who think that the job of the matchmaker is to go out and find the perfect person for the client. That's really not very effective or efficient in terms of time and energy. Best way to do it is for the matchmaker to be building the community so that she, it's usually a woman who's the matchmaker, but not always, so that the matchmaker is gathering all these great people first. Like I always wondered if I wanted to open up my company, how would I find my first client? How do you ever talk your first client into spending money with you? And it was funny because I was just building the company. I was just inventorying everybody, building the technology and putting one person after another into the new system. And this lady falls from the sky. She was referred by a friend of mine. She says, hey, I hear you've been in the dating industry forever. You're starting a new company here in Los Angeles. I want to be your first client find Jewish men for me. 
And she said, I want a Jewish guy. And please, can he be taller than me? She was like five, three. So that was easy. And then she said, please, can he have just a little bit of hair on his head? (laughs) I'm like, sure, no problem. So she was open-minded enough and really wanted me to recruit for her. So I just started producing events and inviting people and everybody who comes get their photos, get their profiles done. And then I focused on the Jewish community because my first client was Jewish. And now to this day, I have a really healthy collection of Jewish people because early on I was hustling. And when you start a matchmaking company, you got to be hustling to find people because nobody wants to sign up with a matchmaker who has no people in her community. Yeah. So then how do you attract Um, I guess, people to come to your community? How do you attract new clients? um, It happens one of two ways. Um, When I started my company, I produced a lot of events. I've produced over 450 events in the 20 years that I've been in business. And each one of those events is produced for for the same reason. It's to attract people. It's if I wait for somebody to Google me looking to hire a matchmaker, it's going to be a real slow start. The best way to build a company like this is to be very service oriented and give an awful lot of value with everything that happens. So when I would produce those events, I made sure that they were fun. I made sure I invited great people. We always took photos at the event. So even if they didn't meet anybody, they at least got a great new photo that they can use on their profile with me or on match.com or send it to their grandma, whatever they want to do with their photo. And so it's about serving first. And that philosophy always worked for me. I just always thought if I just give a lot of value, people will always come and tell their friends. And if you run it like that, you don't have to pay for eyeballs on Google. I don't do Google searches. A lot of the matchmakers do. A lot of the dating agencies, they need new people to sign up all the time. So they spend that money with Google so that if you and I click on their ad, they're paying Google for your eyeball. That's what they're paying for. And the quality of the lead is not really very good. It's much better if people find me organically because maybe I'm producing a hike and I invite you on the hike and you're like, hey, buddy, you want to come? Hey, Susie, I'm going to hike with my friend, Julie, who happens to be a matchmaker. You want to come? Now I know your friend, Casey, and I know your friend, Susan, and they're also going to be new in my community. That I found is a much more effective way to build a community that always has great people in it rather than just trying to find who's going to pay me next. Okay, great. Yeah. Cause I feel like that's the whole thing is like, how do you attract people? So you, I built great technology. <laughs> I built really good technology and it cost me a lot of money. Now today, if you're going to start a matchmaking company from scratch through the global global love Institute, they have resources. And one of them is a company called smart match app which is very reasonable. And if I were starting from scratch today and I had no technology, whew, I'd have such an advantage because it's reasonable now. I had to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to create the technology that I have available to me. And now it's for a song and a dance and a monthly fee, you can access a really great system. And that's how we do it. Like you asked, how do I do, how do, I do the matches? So I was just this morning running a search for this beautiful young woman, Kathy. And 
I know to search for her age demographic. She's 42. She could date a guy from 35 up through maybe early 50s. Plug that in. Radius. She wants to date somebody who's in New Mexico or could be California because she travels there too. So I looked in both places. She could go either way on having kids. So that was kind of an easy search. Um, but she's 42, right? So some guy who wants to have kids, maybe he's 38 or he's 43. Who does he think he's supposed to be meeting? He thinks he's supposed to be meeting the 32-year-old. So it's tricky, right? So if I only consider people for her who want to get married and have children, she's going to get squeezed out age-wise. So I also looked at the men who are a little bit older, maybe not sure about having kids. So then I look for my favorites and then intuition kicks in and I'm like, okay, I think she's got a shot with this guy, Bruce. Maybe I want to introduce her to Bruce, but I don't have anything until I go to Bruce and I say, hey, how's timing for an introduction? He might've just met somebody two weeks ago and I don't know it. If Bruce says, yeah, timing's great, Julie, then I get to say, I've got a girl named Kathy you might, you might want to meet. Let me share her profile with you and God, guys are very visual. If they're not attracted to who she is, again, I'm dead in the water. That's the worst part for the matchmakers. We want to make a match happen. And the guy's like, eh, not so much. Who else you got? I hate that. And I deal with it every day of my life. But when he does give me the yes response, that's when I can go to her and say, Kathy, I have a suitor for you. He studied your profile. He's available. He's really interested in you. What do you think? But now you know what could happen. She could say, oh, thanks so much for all that hard work you did for me, Julie. Um, I know Bruce is really interested. I'm just not interested in him. I'm so sorry. And then I'm dead in the water. So you see, it's not really matchmaking. It's possibility brokerage. <laughs> I got to get him to say yes. And she says yes. And then I've got a match. But still a lot of things can go wrong. If I just share a cell number, maybe he texts her. And she thought maybe he should call her instead. Maybe he called her and she picked up in the grocery store and said, oh, I can't talk right now. Can you call me back? Which she should never say, by the way. <laughs> if you can't talk, don't pick up your phone. Let it go to voicemail. Call them back later. All these things can happen. So as a matchmaker, I'm also a concierge service because if I know that Bruce and Kathy both said yes for meeting, if either one of them is my matchmaking client, I'm going to set it up. Okay, great. I got a date right now I'm trying to make between two people in Los Angeles. Okay, they both said yes, but we're still far from the date. I need to find the location for the date. I need to make a reservation. Hopefully, neither one of them has a problem with that particular uh, restaurant and what they have on their menu. Like I've got a lady who will not go on a date with a guy if he's going to order veal or lamb, she will get up and walk out of the restaurant. Seriously. <laughs> so I have to screen the guy. Not only did he get his COVID vaccine, but also is he okay ordering anything but lamb or veal that night? I mean, it is it's so challenging. It, it really yeah. is. But so also, I don't sometimes you might not set up the date or you always set up the date. If it, either one of them is a matchmaking client paying the big bucks, I will set up the date. Okay. If, it's, if it's a coaching consultation I did with somebody or it's a mitzvah match where neither one of them is paying the big bucks, I will share the cell numbers along with the detailed, <laughs> this is what I want you to do. Don't drop the ball. Either one of you can initiate. 
don't drop the ball because I want to have a 0% flake factor on my introductions, but I have to rely on Kathy and Bruce not to drop the ball. So there are different types of introductions that I can make depending on whether I'm working with a contract client or it's just, oh my gosh, I'd love for these two to meet. Here are the phone numbers and I pray for the best. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, so what is your company? How does your company define a successful match? What's the definition? For me, yes. I love that question. It's a great question. The ultimate successful match is if they get to the success story list, that means either they've been together for a year or they have chosen to move in together or they got married. But I also look at what I call the stick rate. And it's like if a match gets to even date number three, I feel like it's sticking. Like I'm not pushing them to call each other. They like interested enough in each other. They're gonna... So it means that there's enough going on between these two people that they chose to explore together. From my perspective as a matchmaker who really wants to help people enrich their social circles and get good at dating, get good at connecting and relating with people, that is a wonderful first level of success. I worry about people who never get a second date, people who never get invited to have a second date, people who never say yes to the second date. Something's going on there. And it's usually along the lines of they're protecting themselves. They don't want to make a mistake, but they're so guarded or they're so picky fussy about little things that they're probably not going to be succeeding in dating until they get to the point where they can start seeing value in other people and present themselves in a way that they're seen as valuable. Okay. So, I mean, do you, do you tell people that, like, do you tell people that, you, you know, what you see, you know, what your experience? You have such good questions. I love your questions. Um, <laughs> it's, I don't have permission to provide coaching unless somebody's hired me to provide it. So the coaching consultations that I have, I do a lot of them. I love them because someone's hiring me to ask for that kind of help. And I'm like, after a first date, I won't shove coaching down someone's throat. They have to ask me. Like if I put Kathy and Bruce on a date together and then I get the post-date feedback and Kathy says, you know, Bruce just, I just don't think he's my guy. All he did was talk the whole time. He didn't ask me one question about myself. I just picked up post-date feedback like this today. So it's fresh in my mind. It's a common thing. The number one thing women complain about with men on dates is they just talk the whole time, which is usually because he's attracted to her and trying to impress her. He's peacocking. But I can't go to him and say, listen, dude, why don't you just get with the program and learn how to go on a date and stop talking the whole time, ask questions? Because he hasn't hired me, hasn't asked me. But if he wants to go on another date with Kathy and Kathy doesn't give him the yes response and he checks in with me and says, hey, Julie, um, I really like Kathy. I, I want to see her again, but she didn't respond or she, she said she didn't think we we're a good match. You know, you have any idea why that, why that might be? Now, I know why it is but I'm not going to shove it down his throat yet. I'm going to say, I think I might know what it might be. Do you, do you want to know? Cause I think I can tell you, but you have to, you have to ask me for it. I make them beg for it because if he doesn't have his ears open, he's not going to hear it. 
So I had to give that kind of feedback to a gentleman today who almost didn't get the second date, except for I'm working with them both. And I had a chance to see, okay, she would give him another chance if maybe he would shut up and let her talk, right? And appear genuinely interested. So he was frustrated because she hadn't committed to the second day yet. And I encouraged her to say yes, she did. And then once I knew the date was happening again, I said to him, hey, um, I got a tip for you if you're open to it. I got to te tease his interest. And then he said, yeah, yeah, sure. Tell me anything. And I said, strive to have a real balanced conversation where you're using your ears as much as your mouth and you're finding out as much about her as she might be finding out about you. And he's like, oh, yeah, got it. Thanks so much for the tip. We'll see how he does. We'll see how he does on date number two. Okay, great. You know, because I feel like knowledge is power and sometimes you just don't know. And so if someone told you, then it would help you going forward, you know? So I feel like, yeah, I guess if people ask, you will, you will tell them then pretty much. Yeah. And it, it's a function of my relationship with them and how much I think they can handle and want to handle. So um, one of my female clients knows about herself that she is an oversharer. <laughs> she shares too much, too early, all the time. And so we're working with her on that. And, and she asked me, she said, I want you to share feedback with me. And if I'm doing too much of that, I want you to tell me. She's invited me to let her know. And she's still doing it. And I'm still coaching her on it because it's a lifelong habit that she's going to have to curtail if she wants to get past that first date. Okay. Yes. No, like I said, I, I'm always about, I like that directness. I like to know just so it always, I feel like it helps anybody, you know, going forward um, in anything in life. So <laughs> that's great. Um, so what is the average cost for a matchmaker? How long are typically the contracts? What are, two more questions with this one question, what are the minimum and maximum number of matches and what constitutes a match? Okay, um, different for each matchmaker, but I will say that each matchmaker has to determine if they're going to promise a certain number of introductions or an amount of time that they're searching for the client. And the matchmaker can get in a whole lot of trouble if they're not really clear about what we call the deliverables. Um, like, what is a match? Okay, in my world, a match means he's said yes, she's said yes, I've provided contact information, or I've set up the first date. That's what I call a match. I never want to see two people say yes to meeting and have that introduction fall apart before there's been an in-person meeting. Or these days, it could be a Zoom call. It could be a phone call. Um, it's all fine, but it has to actually, they have to connect or I consider it to be a failure and the client would consider it to be a failure. That's why I babysit the, the introduction so much because I don't want anybody screwing up my good work. <laughs> um, so uh, typically I like to do short-term programs because it's the least amount of risk for both the client and for me. I know my database well enough that, and I'm the only one doing matches. I mean, a lot of the matchmaking agencies are big and have a lot of staff members and it takes longer to get things done. I know my world. 
and I know who my people are. So in three months, that's all the time I need to go through my client base, my entire community thoroughly. If the person is a challenging client and I know they're going to need a lot of handholding, I know they're going to need a lot of practice. I know they're going to need extra recruiting, vetting, whatever. I will encourage the six-month program, which is my $10,000 program. I'm on the low end of matchmakers fees. Most of the matchmakers are charging more than $10,000. A lot of them start at $20,000 or $25,000. Personally, I would rather serve as many people as I can. And I don't want to sit and wait for the right high dollar client to fall into my lap. So that's the reason why I'm kind of a freak in this industry. And I do an awful lot for people at these lower levels because um, I'm on borrowed time. I was supposed to be uh, retiring years ago and I just failed at it every time I've tried. So I just decided let's just serve as many people as we can. Once I'm 65, I might rethink it, but you know, for right now I'm doing it. So, um, most of the matchmakers, I would say, either work with people for six months or maybe a year. A lot of them are charging those big fees. They're working with people for a full year. But sometimes, you know, it could be a month or six weeks and they haven't had their first introduction yet. And I hate to hear that. Um, but it happens a lot. Personally, I like to, if I'm working for somebody for a three-month period of time, I better have at least five or six introductions. Otherwise, I feel like I haven't done my job. And so I don't want to take on a client that I don't think I can make that happen for. For me, there's no limit to the number of introductions that we can have. So if I'm searching for a gentleman, guys are much easier to search for than, than girls. Do you know why? No. <laughs> it's because of the visual piece. Um, I can't get a guy to court a woman properly unless he's attracted to her, at least at a certain level. So they're all on a different scale in terms of how selective they are. But the problem that we have when we have a female client is that she'll give us her criteria and that's all great. But then I go in and look at that group of people. I'm looking for this guy who meets her criteria and I know that some of those guys might be open to meeting her and a bunch of those guys will not because they like only Asian women or this guy likes African-American, this guy likes Kardashian <laughs> curves. I talked to a guy yesterday who likes women who have not had any augmentation. So that means all women who've had their boobs done are out. Yeah, well, I, I just feel like do people really know? Because I know people that had dated complete opposite people, like, you know, and so my whole thing is that I don't know so much that people have types because I've seen people date complete opposite types um, and liked and have relationships with opposite types. So, well, there's a lot to be said for complementary energy. <laughs> um, one of my favorite uh, dating coaches for women is our friend, Evan Mark Katz. And he has a, um, he has this quote that I, that I use a lot that he shared with us. And he said that women, especially strong, successful, powerful, smart women, we should be looking for our complement, not our clone. And today's strong, successful, powerful woman doesn't know that. She's thinking that her 
generally. She's thinking that if her relationships haven't worked out, it's because her success has intimidated men. And the solution, she thinks, is to date a guy who earns even more than she does and who's even bigger and stronger and more masculine than even she is. But what she doesn't understand is that if she is exhibiting a lot of masculine energy, boss lady kind of energy, ain't no way that big alpha male is going to go for her. She might be better off with the pool boy <laughs> than she would be with a CEO because he's going to come home to an argument and he's not interested in that. Yeah, no, I feel like, yeah, there's so much psychology behind it, but I, I feel like sometimes it's magical too. Sometimes probably people you don't, wouldn't match up, yeah. maybe could make it. So, <laughs> That's exactly I think it's a little right. bit more sometimes to it. It's like, you know, no, you know, I don't know if no one on the nose a hundred percent. So that's the whole thing. So when you say a guy right off the bat looking at a picture, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, I don't understand how it's you that they're not open to maybe meeting the person because they actually might like the person. But yes. I know I used to fight it, too. Um, <laughs> when I worked for my husband's company, I used to really fight that a lot because I, you know, the women, you and I would sit down at the tables and read the profiles and we'd then we'd maybe look at the photo and maybe we'd look at the video. The guys are up at the counter doing it exactly the opposite. Backwards, photos, 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 photos. And then when he's sufficiently attracted, then he will read the profile. He yeah, will. Which I think is so funny because I said, like, I think guys do that all the time, but then they might not marry that person that you know, that was, they were looking at the whole time, you know, they meet somebody, well, you know, marry somebody completely different. So that's why it's just, it's funny. I think to me, well, here's some bad news. <laughs> Can you handle a little bad news? I mean, if you're going to uh, say some good it, too, <laughs> I'm just a realist. Okay. So the bad news is there's nothing fair about dating. <laughs> we want everything to be fair. There is nothing fair about dating, including that biologically men and women are different. Um, the question that I had asked you earlier on an earlier call, I think you gave me the yes response to the question. I asked you, have you ever met a guy you were not particularly attracted to initially, then you got to know him and he became more adorable and even dateable. I think you said yes. Yes. True for me too. 85% of women will give me the yes response to that question, but this is what's not fair. If I ask that question, as I have to over 50,000 men in 30 years, what percentage of men, you know the answer. What percentage of men give me the yes response? You remember what it is? I, I mean, yeah, I think, 5%. I don't know, 5%, okay, I didn't know. It was that 5%, low. it's that bad. So we could yell and scream and kick and, you know, be unhappy about it. But what I think is a better way to handle it is to be realistic and just to operate with my sister's favorite quote about this phenomenon, which is we only have a shot with the guy who thinks we're hot. <laughs> so that means for the girl who's Asian, she should be paying attention to the men who are naturally attracted to Asian women. And the ones who aren't, why bother with them? Mm -hmm. Just, you know, let's fish in the pool where we actually have a shot. So I'm five foot one and a half. And there are some guys who just don't like petite girls. Maybe he's tall and wants like a woman he can dance better with, whatever. Why would I go try to get a date with the six foot four guy who's probably going to prefer a woman who's five, seven or eight? You know, it's just that. Okay. 
All right. Um, so just to move on. So how does a person, a customer, you know, a potential client know if the matchmaker has potential people, partners that they're interested in looking for? Oh, you do ask good questions, don't you? That's going to be a function of whether the matchmaker is service-oriented or sales-oriented. There are a lot of matchmakers out there that will just tell you, of course, it's going to work for you. It's going to be great. You're going to do great. It's wonderful. They're just trying to close the deal. <laughs> the bigger the office, the more offices, the bigger the company, I promise you, the more inclined they are to be sales oriented first because they got their bills to pay. So um, I will tell you the, the unfortunate reality, which is that a lot of people in this industry will encourage the person to sign on and spend the money, even if they don't even have two or three people like in the bag off the bat that they can do. I don't want to take on a client unless I've got at least half of the matches I expect to make for that client already in the bag. Like I know I'm going to be able to match this person. And the matchmaker sometimes will tell you what they think you want to hear in order to get you to make the commitment. So what you could do and what you should do is ask the matchmaker to show you real live candidates of people that she thinks she can match you with. But knowing that really you never know until you actually get the yes from the guy. So, you know, I, whenever I do a consultation, we look at a lot of people together, but I have to make very sure that I explain, I don't know if this guy's available today. And even if he is, I don't know if he's going to go for you, but I'd love to make the match if I had the chance. And that's where I get a chance to look and see, you know, is this person reasonable? If I do a consultation with you and we look at 20 guys together and there's like maybe one that you'd even think about meeting. I'm not going to tell you to spend big money with that matchmaker. No way, because your level of selectivity is not in line with the reality that that matchmaker can provide. The okay. sad truth is most of the people who think they should hire a matchmaker probably shouldn't, but they should definitely get registered with that matchmaker and they should make sure their photos are awesome. The photos are really important if you're registering with a matchmaker. I want a good, crisp, clear face, smiling shot and a body shot because the guy who goes for the skinny chick isn't going to go for the girl with the curves and vice versa. So we got to work with it, not fight it. Okay. Okay, good. All right. So what are your top, can you give top like a top three tips to find love? Sure. Let's see. Um, number one is to be very, very clear about who you are and the type of person that you think would really be an ideal compliment for you in your life. You know, know who you are, know what you want. And then you got to put together a strategy for causing introductions to happen for yourself. So clarifying who you are and what you want, but then putting together your action plan. And I think the third piece is really more about readiness. Um, I think the best advice that I have for people who are dating, who really want to be in relationship is practice the art of loving first yourself. The most important relationship we're ever going to have is the one we have with ourselves. We will never treat anybody better than we treat ourselves. It's not possible. So start here and then practice the art of loving 
every day, no matter where you are, whether it's the guy in the taxi cab or the person bagging your groceries, the little old lady who's walking a little slower than you wish she would, can you help her open the door for, I mean, practice the art of loving and look for what's right in people rather than what might be lacking. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes, Mm. yes. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I don't mean to shut, like, cut you short. So I don't know if you want to continue with that, but I love it. I feel like that, that, that was so beautiful what you just said. <laughs> Thank you, honey. It's really, you can't find love. You can't. It's not out there. It, it's something that's experienced on the inside, moment by moment. You and I are having a lovely connection. We're talking with each other. We're sharing our souls with each other. We are doing the art of love right now being present with people, if we can just practice being present and sharing ourselves with other people instead of waiting for things to happen and like having expectations that are unrealistic, you know, just take what you got today right in front of you, you know, whatever phone calls you're on, make those be the phone calls where you get to practice love. And if it's not happening for you naturally, get busy. Too many people are waiting for somebody else to initiate, especially women. I'd say about 75% of the relationships out there in the world is because one of us girls tapped some guy on the shoulder or, you know, waved him over or said, aren't you going to ask me out? I mean, (laughs) we got to go for it. Girls today, we have to, especially after the Me Too movement, guys don't know what to do. We've got to, we've got to stir things up for ourselves. So, so if someone is, if so, if a girl is interested in a guy, what do you, so you're, what do you recommend? All the girls should have calling cards. So it's not a business card. It's a calling card. And it just says, uh, you know, like mine would just say, Julie, nice little smiling face. It might have a quote on it and it would either have a cell number or an email address that does not share my last name. I don't want to be Googled. And now they have all kinds of systems that you can use to disguise your cell phone number. There's a company called Burner, like five bucks a month or whatever. And it's a phone number that you can give out freely, but they can't trace it back to your real phone number. It just forwards. So interesting new ways that we can kind of be more assertive, be more proactive, and also be safe. Nice to meet you. Here's how to find me. And you give him your card. You can say, my girlfriends and I plan these really fun parties. If you're single, we'll invite you. Then you found out if he's single or not. (laughs) You got to do it. No matter what matchmaker or dating coach you have in your world, no matter how many online sites you're on, you're never going to have as many opportunities with any of them as you do in your own world, using your own eyes and your own smile and initiating with people and make friends along the way. Don't think, oh, well, he's not tall enough for me or, oh, he seems too old. He seems too young. He seems like he's from somewhere else in the world. Make friends. And maybe you go to one of his parties and his college roommate is the guy you get to be with for 40 years. That's the way to do it. So, so, okay. So just to recap that. So you're in a, a place, it could be a restaurant and there's somebody at the bar that and you're a girl and you want to approach him. He's a guy say this scenario. What do you do? You walk right over and, and totally. hand your card and hand your card. <laughs> you just, you get really good at it so that it becomes just a way of life. Okay. So if, if anybody who's listening, if, if you aren't already in the habit of going out to eat by yourself, could be deli, matzo ball soup, Starbucks, coffee, oatmeal, 
Sushi bar, great place to practice the art of the social schmooze. I want you to be very good at just talking to people all the time. And there's three levels of flirting. So the first level is eye contact and men are begging me to beg women to do this. It's what we call turning the cab light on. So eye contact and smiling, getting good at that. Then you've got eye contact. He knows that you're accessible. He might come up and talk to you or you might walk up and I, I love going to bars and eating at bars by myself, whether I'm having a drink or not, doesn't even matter. Just sitting at the bar, practicing, talking to people and just make a comment. Oh, this cranberry juice is so good. Or, oh, I've been dying to have a martini all day. Like you just start talking to the person. They're not so scary and practice it. And then through the conversation, you know, you just volunteer some things. Oh, I'm just here visiting with my friends and um, my friends are single and we're going to plan a singles party or something. You just drop these little hints and you'd be surprised what happens. But don't be afraid to just engage, practice. you got to get good at it. And every day you'll get a little better at it. Okay. All right. Great. Um, and just to, I want to like ask you a couple of quick questions to go through, but um, so one, I know you mentioned you host any single events. I don't know if you do virtual or just physical locations. And also, do you recommend any like best single events to attend? Right now, events are tough, as you know, with this COVID environment. But I love to send people to meet up hiking groups. It's a really good way to practice being warm and friendly to everybody. There's something about the hiking trail um, where you're just moving and conversations flow and you make friends and uh, the hiking is great. Um, the, you, I really like the plus one party idea where you gather your single friends, even if you only have two or three of them, you plan an event. It could be bowling. It could be going to the happy hour. It could be going to the brewery. Doesn't matter what it is. Could be a hike. And you say, listen, you got to bring somebody I don't know with you of the opposite sex. And it's just a standing rule that you get to come to my plus one parties, but only if the ticket to admission is you're bringing me somebody of the opposite sex that I don't know yet. And this is how I've got a woman outside of Milwaukee that started doing dating coaching with me a year and a half ago. She had just moved into town, didn't really know anybody, doesn't have a social network. And now she plans events that 20, 30, sometimes 40 people come to. She started with knowing nobody. Okay. All right. So rap, it's almost like a rapid round. So I want to get through these couple of questions, um, you know, before our time's up. Um, but so any, back to the single events, um, how would you find out about any, what's the best way to find out about any in your local area virtually? I just go to Google, you know, like my husband and I are going to be in Sedona. And I thought, hey, let's let's gather a uh, group of people who might be single in Sedona. So I just went to Google and I just looked up, you know, singles group Sedona or and usually they'll direct you to a meetup. And so let's look and see if there's a meetup group happening there. Um, just Google it, you know, singles, okay. singles groups, and you, maybe you'll find some. Okay. Better yet, if you plan your own. <laughs> I'm just like surprised in this whole thing. Like, there, I feel like there should be some definitely place, like one particular place or two 
or three or, or at least top 10 places that you could go to. Um, I feel like this, like searching on Google, which so many things could come up and you don't know the, you know, how great everything is. I'm surprised there's nothing, something more. You know, every like, community is a little different. Like in Santa Fe, there's this gentleman who organizes um, a newsletter that he sends out uh, twice a month and it's got everything you can imagine, just all kinds of different things. And every market has hopefully somebody who's decided to do that. Uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, a good place to go. Anytime I'm new in town, I'll always check out um, the Chamber of Commerce offerings and any local social groups, um, entrepreneur gatherings, business networking. It's all opportunities. You know, half the people in the room are going to be single, generally. Okay, great. All right, good. That was great. Thank you. Um, okay, so now, like I said, the timing is an issue, so I'm going to rapid questions right now. But how do you create a romantic marketing plan? How do you start? <laughs> um, the romance marketing plan is really a simple process of creating your who am I? That's like how you're going to describe yourself on your online dating profile, or if a matchmaker is going to be developing a profile, how do you describe yourself? Then how do you describe the person that you would ultimately love to be with? The most important piece of that is, I don't care how long that wish list is, but I want you to identify your top three critical criteria. Those are the things you'd rather be single for the rest of your life than partner with somebody who didn't have this particular element. Um, and then the third part of the romance marketing plan is your action strategy. How are you going to do it? Are you going to put yourself on match.com? Are you going to research your local matchmakers? Are you going to start planning a plus one party every couple of months and build your own social network? And then it's following the plan. If you're really looking for a relationship, I want you on a couple of first dates with real live candidates every month. If you do that, then by the time a year has gone by, that's 24 first dates, you probably won't make it to 24. You will have stalled out with somebody you want to keep seeing. So mostly what people are doing is overthinking and underdoing, or <laughs> they're just, just spinning, just spinning, 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 and freaking themselves out and not doing anything. Okay. Yeah, no, and, and the COVID doesn't help either. So that's another whole like challenge in itself. But okay. And then again, quick, quick, Quick uh, questions is, how do you know if you found the right person? Well, how do we know if we found the right person? Is there is, any signs or questions you need to ask or know? Well, I would say one thing you do is you go back to your romance marketing plan and you look and see, does this person have the most important critical criteria? How do I feel? when I'm with this person? Can I be my best self when I'm with this person? Can I be my whole self? And then on the other side, do I meet this person's top critical criteria? Maybe this person has never thought about it. Ask them the questions. You know, what's most important to you and your partner? Do, do I match? Do I, do I fit that? And it's, it's one date at a time until you have the conversation about exclusivity. And I think people put too much weight on, is this my soulmate? Is this the one for me? How about, do you want to have another date? <laughs> one date at a time. And then I, what I also say is keep your pants on until you know that you're not dating anybody else and he's not dating anybody else. You've had the conversation about 
what's the purpose for dating? Are you looking for a relationship? I mean, people are jumping into bed before they even know if this person wants to make babies or not, you know, have those conversations first, which means don't drink too much because after that second drink, once you're into drink number three, all bets are off, you're going to end up in the bedroom and you won't know the guy's name in the morning. So. <laughs> okay. okay, good. All right, moving on. Um, so what is the best place to meet a, um, a single, single men and where is the best place to meet single women? Well, I think, you know, I really like the brewery thing right now. You know, there's a lot of breweries in every community and it's kind of a casual, easy place to meet people. I think what the, the best thing to do is to do the things you love to do. So I love hiking. So if I were single, something happened to Mr. Furman and I needed to go out and try to meet people, I would be doing all of the cooking stuff. I'd be doing cooking classes because I love cooking with people. That's really fun. I'd be doing, I'd probably avoid the wine tastings because you're probably going to meet drunks there and I don't want to go out with a drunk, but you know, I'd probably do um, dog park stuff because I love dogs and I might not want to have a dog of my own, but I love dogs. So just do the stuff that you love to do and be friendly and warm along the way. Everywhere you go, hand your cards out, get yourself on those two dates every month with qualified candidates and keep throwing that spaghetti against the wall. So you got something that's stuck. Okay, good. All right. So what is your mission, your goal? In life or in my business or for my clients or. I would say for the, your matchmaking business right now. Um, I would say my most important goal is to serve each person that I get a chance to work with and to serve that person well. Of course, the company has to be solvent. So I have to keep the company alive. That's the operational part of it. But I think really it's more about every day, do the best job I can for the people I get to work with today. And just being present like that makes the job so much more fun than having these huge monstrous goals that, I don't know, I guess I'm really just in service mode right now. I just want to live a good life do a good job, take care of people and enjoy myself. And when, and when it's all over, go take a hike with my dog. I have a really good time. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like it's only good, good. You do good. Good's coming back to you. So it's yeah. great. Thanks. Um, what information can you share, recommend as far as magazines, books, websites, podcasts, movies to someone in search of love? So anything specific? For sure, everybody should listen to the Cupid's Coach podcast. That's my podcast. And it's it. got all the, it's just, it's been, it's been the best thing I've ever done in terms of being able to coach people. I get to say things that I can't really say to my client directly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really important. I also really think that um, following Catherine Woodward Thomas's book, it's called Calling in the One. I love her philosophy. She's been doing this forever and keeps revising her book. So it just gets better and better. So read Calling in the One. And the other bit of information that is just huge is all about the gender stuff. Alison Armstrong is my favorite relationship guru. And um, it's PAX programs. If you go to alisonarmstrong.com, one L, A-L-I-S-O-N, armstrong.com. She's all about partnership and helping men and women in today's really complex culture learn what it takes to be a good partner and um, to communicate 
with each other so that we continue to make each other better partners. So those are the things. Catherine Woodward Thomas, Cupid's Coach Podcast, and Allison Armstrong, that'll set you straight. Okay, great. <laughs> are there any specific memberships a single person in search for love should join? Well, there's a new company um, that got created recently, and it's called Kinder, K-Y-Y-N-D-R.com. Brand new concept, and I'm really excited about it. I'm the matchmaker on faculty with the company, and you get a chance to get in there and engage with people, all kinds of programming every month, and you can jump in on as many different rooms or workshops as you want, and you can engage with people there. It's a place to practice communicating about what's real and what really matters. So it's great practice, K-Y-Y-N-D-R. That's my favorite place to tell people to go right now. Okay, and just to wrap up three last questions. One is, what do you know for sure? I know for sure that love is a verb. We can't go out and find it. It's about creating it in a moment by moment fashion. And it's fleeting. So love is a verb. And um, anytime something goes wrong in life, the opportunity is for us to look and see what was my part? What was my part and how bad that went? <laughs> and if we're looking there, maybe we'll get an answer. Okay, great. Okay, so if someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they best reach you? Uh, emails, great, or just register if you're single and you wish you weren't, and you'd love to be accessible to me for referrals and wherever you are on the planet, as long as it's planet Earth, I'm not set up on Mars yet, but planet Earth, if you have an email address or a cell phone number, you can participate. So it's juliefurman.com. And uh, I'm hard to reach by phone. I schedule all of my calls, but I'm very accessible by email. And that's julie at juliefurman.com. Okay, great. And then the last thing I wanted to ask is anything else you would like to say or add that I didn't cover? I don't think so. You're a really good interviewer. You covered all the major stuff. Um, I could say most importantly, keep your sense of humor and, <laughs> and cut yourself some slack. If you're out there dating, be good to yourself. Be good to yourself. Keep a sense of humor. Look for what's right instead of what's wrong. Um, Think more about what you're contributing to other people than what you might be getting back on any kind of date that you're on. If you're always in give mode, in contribution mode, you can't fail. Mm -hmm. If you come about it from like, what's in it for me? A lot of disappointments, but how can I contribute to this person? You come from that place, you're going to be a winner no matter what. Okay, great. All right, great. So thank you so much for doing this podcast with me today. You are amazing. Thank you. And You're a great interviewer, Alana. <laughs> Thank you for doing this with me. And this concludes our podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it and have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Okay. Bye. <laughs>